Hello, and welcome to Good Content, a podcast about living out our faith more boldly through radical love. I'm Alex. And I'm Erin. And we're so glad that you're with us. For this third episode, we are going to be telling our testimonies about how we came to the Catholic faith. Um, But before we do, y'all know what time it is. What time is it? It's time for the song to slap. Welcome, welcome, welcome. 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 Hey, we got to the same note by the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, you know what? To yeah. start y'all out, I just ate a popsicle. And for those of you who don't know, which would be all of you, <laughs> except Aaron, <laughs> I have a long-standing feud with the popsicle people. One-sided. They don't know about the feud. <laughs> they don't know about the feud, but it's the people who make popsicles, and they write these... Let me, let me just... I'm just going to read the joke. Okay? So after I finished my delicious popsicle, this is what I was faced with. How do you cut the C in half? What's the answer, Aaron? With, with a seesaw. With a seesaw. Okay. <laughs> so you know what's funny about this is that it's not funny actually. And you know what's annoying about it is that the C in Seesaw isn't even spelled like the C. It's spelled S-E-E. That's why it's a pun though, Alex. You know what? See, that's this, these popsicle people, I I'm gonna call them mm-hmm. one day. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get their number, I'm gonna call them and I'm gonna demand to speak to their joke manager. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wanna know why this person who these people, this conglomerate, whoever these mysterious popsicle people are, I want to know, I want to speak to the joke manager. I respect that, but also want the job title of joke manager. That's a great title. (laughs) Uh, Can you just imagine me? Boop, boop, beep, boop. Hello. Hi. This is Alex. You don't know me, but I know you. And um, I'm calling because I want to speak to your joke manager. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be like, (laughs) ma'am. Ma'am, this is... Popsicle. This is popsicle. <laughs> no, so yeah, so that you know that that is that is how we come to you on this very gloomy, thundery, rainy day. I'm enjoying thunder personally. Me too. It just boomed a little bit. It did, and it boomed in my heart. It boomed in your heart. What does it sound like inside your heart? Boom, boom, boom. Make my heart go. <laughs> no, I did it wrong. It's zoom, zoom, right? I'm sorry. From xenon. Yeah, exactly from xenon. Oh my god. Throwback to the 90s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. Yeah. It was the first time I fell in love with a Disney Channel person. It was the guy who played um, Orion. The guy who was in love with her. Oh, so not the guy who made your heart go boom, boom. No, I mean okay. him too, but mostly <laughs> Orion. Yeah. Yeah. Orion was, he was a babe back in the day. But <laughs> I was babe. but I was also the same age as, I was younger than him, so... So it was, was appropriate. appropriate. Yeah. It's not appropriate now. Well, it is because he's older than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he looks like now. That's a great question. We're going to have to Google it when we're done. Yeah. Orion's, you know, girl of 21st century and just see where he's at. Mm-hmm. I do know that he's Australian and I I think that some of the most beautiful people come from Australia. Really? 
yes, every time there's a handsome or beautiful actress or act- actor, they always are from Australia. Like the guy from The Hunger Games. Like the guy from The Hunger Games. Mm. Chris Hemsworth, him too. They're brothers. I know. It's a beautiful family. <laughs> <laughs> Margot Robbie, she's beautiful. Mm. She's from Australia. Well, congratulations to any Australians who might be listening. Because, uh, <laughs> we congratulate you on your face. <laughs> uh, on your face, on your... I don't know what's in y'all's water, but... <laughs> you know, I bet Australians, popsicle people, don't don't write these kinds of foolish puns. You think so? I bet they probably just say, you beautiful. <laughs> <on them. laughs> oh, God. So, uh, so, Alex, what are we talking about today on the podcast? We are not talking about popsicles. We are going to talk about our testimonies. Mm. We're going to give you um, our stories. Why, why does this matter? Well, I think so often... Uh, I can look at people who are already in the faith and I think to myself, wow, that person's so holy. And I guess I kind of forget that every person has a story and a journey that gets them to the place that they are presently. And I think also another reason that this is important is to remind myself how far I've come. Wow. Yeah. Why is it important to you? Well, there is a tweet that I read one time and that's usually not ever a good way to like start a story like it doesn't go well but no, I wish I could remember who tweeted this and I apologize um, to whoever I'm not crediting um, but the person tweeted like just a reminder like the tomb is still empty mm. and I fell in love with that tweet because it just reminded me that you know the tomb is empty like Jesus is alive um, the Lord in in the Trinity is out here like working in all of our lives in very, very particular ways. Um, He knows exactly what we need. He's working. He knows us. And I think that it's really, really powerful to, to share our stories. And there was, I think a Pope who said that like the world doesn't listen to teachers. They listen to witnesses. Mm. Um, and something about, like, you know, it's good if they can be both. Um, mm. But people really, like, on an empathetic level, on a personal level, they connect with our stories. And and what I like about it, too, is that it's never to, like, glorify ourselves or say, like, look at me and, like, the great way that I'm growing in my faith. Um, but it's saying, what is Jesus doing? And I love that, Alex, you have, like, a this beautiful new statue of Jesus here because I find myself, I keep looking at him as I'm speaking. Um, <laughs> Black Jesus. But, yeah, it's a beautiful, we should post a picture of it yeah. on our Instagram. Yeah, we should. We're going to post a picture of this beautiful statue of Jesus as a black man carrying his cross. Mm. Um, I bought it on Amazon. Mm. And I'm, I don't know, every time I look at it, I'm I'm thinking about the call. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 So he's, he's working in everything in all of our lives and bringing us, you know, always closer to him. So, so we're going to tell you these stories. Um, this is something that also that is really important to me. And I'm working on a project to collect um, lots of people's testimonies to just show the different ways that Jesus is alive and working in us. So if this is something that you are interested in in you telling, like telling your own story, we would love to hear from you or uh, I would, but I I think both of us would love to hear from you. So um, email us, get in touch if you want to share your story. 
Yeah, email us at goodcontentpodcast12 at gmail.com. Um, you can send us a recording or you can write it out and we can read it. Um, you can remain anonymous or you can tell us your name and where you're from. Um, and we just, we welcome that. We would love to hear people's testimonies and maybe we could feature a few of them, um, on our, on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. Um, so I guess we'll get right into it. So I'm going to go first. Um, my name is Alex and I am an ex-witch. This testimony is going to be called the time that I encountered demons <laughs> while in trying, while trying to encounter Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess I'll talk about my life before I knew Christ. I grew up Baptist, but I was never devout. So I was unbelieving and going through the motions in my religion oftentimes feeling sort of like ostracized um, or maybe just not even ostracized, but just feeling un- not connected. Um, being Baptist never quite stuck with me. And it was just something that I did because my mother was Christian and she told me to go to church. Um, I grew up in a tough environment, which made, made me feel powerless something that the evil one would exploit later in my life. So, so when I was in high school, I stopped going to church. Um, when I got to college, I went occasionally to like many different churches. Um, and I dabbled in a lot of different faith paths. Um, Jehovah's witness, Baptist, Episcopal, but just none of them stuck. Well, I had friends who knew of a store called, Let's just call it the store (laughs) for anonymity purposes. Uh, So it was a mixed religion occult shop, and they sold varying items from rosaries to tarot cards. And the store was enchanting, and I was intrigued by every aspect of being in there. It was inviting. There were gorgeous things all over the place. It was just easy to be in that place, especially when I spent most of my life feeling kind of like the black sheep or the outcast in every place that I was. Finally, in the store, I felt like I belonged. Mm -hmm. And it was rife with possibility. Like there were all of these different choose your own adventure paths, right? Um, And I, I was enchanted by it. Um, I could do what I wanted. It was true freedom, right? That's what I thought at the time. I was resistant at first, but I was curious about what it meant to get into witchcraft. So for me, it started with a beautifully illustrated pack of oracle cards. You don't know the power of the dark side. So for those of you who are not familiar with what oracle cards are, they're a tool for divination or foretelling the future. I used my oracle cards sparingly, but they always seemed accurate to what I was going through in my life. 
And from there, I got more comfortable, and that's when the seduction began. I purchased my first tarot deck shortly after. Now, tarot cards are a bit more advanced, but they contain cards with imagery that foretell the future, too. The difference is that often the readings from tarot cards are dark and foreboding, while oracle cards purport to be light and positivity. Little did I know that these two things have one thing in common. They teach a person to rely on their own intuition and on their own understanding, which scripture warns against. From here, it was a slippery slope. Like, I was just... It seemed that I was always buying something. It seemed I would go to the store, that store, and I would need stones, or I would need herbs, or I would need a cauldron, or all of these things. I started amassing all these tools to do witchcraft. I was always a bit sort of like nervous about it, but my desire to feel powerful started to outweigh my fear of what, what it was. I began frequenting this occult shop and purchasing a pendulum and other tools for divination. I even bought a wand. So it's, it's funny, the story about the wand. Um, when I was looking in the glass case at the store, trying to find a wand that I wanted, every wand was way too expensive for me. Until my eye caught on a beautiful, earthy green wand. I turned it over and I saw that the price was only $20 when all the others had been much more expensive. I could spend $20, right? So I bought it. Fast forward to my practices. I consider myself a witch, but I was like Glinda the Good Witch from Oz. I didn't do anything bad to anyone. I didn't curse or harm anyone. I just did tarot and cast small spells to find a nice apartment. I considered myself a white witch or a light worker also known as a right-hand path witch. I wasn't like other witches, I thought. I didn't do, quote, bad magic. But little did I know that all magic was bad. Scripture warns against that, too. Scripture says of witchcraft, in Deuteronomy 18.10 to 11, it says, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Leviticus 19.31 says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Now, I want to be clear. I grew up in the church. I was aware of these scriptures when I became a witch. But... I didn't believe in the power of Jesus. I didn't believe in church or any of those things. So I just decided that the scriptures didn't, didn't, what's the right word? Um, they didn't apply to me. So I had this sort of arrogance to be like, eh, well, it's all right. Um, so at some point in my journey deeper into witchcraft, I decided that I was closing myself off to a whole wealth of knowledge, right? I considered myself a white witch, a white practitioner, someone who only did good. So I decided to start diving into gray witchcraft, which is a sort of neutral path that supposedly 
you have to learn how to heal someone and hex them. You have to learn how to curse and break the curse. And the reason is because they tell you uh, that if you know both of them and you do neither, basically you are neutral and you're not doing anything wrong. Um, from there, after I was comfortable calling myself a gray witch, I started becoming interested in learning about the darker aspects of black magic, also known as execration magic. This is the kind of magic that you think of when you think of witchcraft. It's the kind where you curse people to sickness, where you break up relationships, even kill people. So I became interested in that. I would tell myself while I was becoming interested in it that it was just sort of like a curiosity in that I just... It was just a part of my education and that I would never use it, but I just needed to know how to do it in case something happened. But that was the evil one. It's a very slippery slope when you get a taste of the power that magic can give you, but it's a false power and it's a false freedom. So, but you don't realize it because everything's gilded and it all looks beautiful and glittery, but in reality, underneath it's all rotten. So, um... I started studying the darkest types of magic. Um, I can I can break up marriages, cause car accidents, make others sick. Um, I still know how to do these things. I wish I didn't. I told myself I would never do it. I told myself that I was not that kind of witch. But I, I want to say, I want to be honest, that there is no such thing as a good witch. There's no such thing as good magic. Um, those are There's just those who follow Christ and those who follow the evil one. Um, and which one do you think I was? And the funniest thing is that I, like most witches, didn't even believe in the devil or demons. I always used to say, I've never seen any evidence of demons or devils. That was my line every time. Anytime anyone wanted to say, Oh, what you're doing is evil. I would say, I've never, or aren't you worried about demons? No, I have never seen evidence of demons or devils. But being a Catholic now and understanding how the devil works to some extent, I understand that that's how he wants it. He doesn't want you to believe in him. Because when you don't believe in him, he can influence your will even more because you don't believe in him. It's only when he's found out that he has to stop so I carried on. I had everything I wanted, right? I was powerful. I was no longer that scared, powerless little girl that I grew up as. And yet, never did I feel so powerless over my life. My turning point <laughs> is a really funny story. As all good things in my life, aside from Jesus... The other person who is always looking out for me is my sister. She's my best friend, but that doesn't describe our relationship. It's more like we should have been born as sisters. Um, she called me up the night before I was moving out of my apartment. I was moving out of my apartment and I was going to go home for the summer to Tennessee. And... Uh, and I was packing everything up and all that stuff. So she called me the night before. I'm sleeping on this awful 
like air mattress. I'm uncomfortable already. And I'm, my room is totally bare because everything has been packed away. Um, and she calls me and she says, Hey, I had to tell you something about this thing I saw on Twitter. All bad things happen. <laughs> start on that. We'll start with that. They are start on Twitter. Right. <laughs> so she tells me this story about a, an artist who, uh, supposedly was possessed and he chronicled the days leading up to his possession on Twitter. Now, whether or not that's true or not, that's not the point. The point is, is that at this point in my life, neither of us believed in possession, demons or devils or church, none of that. So we were just like, you know, she probably thought she was freaked out. So she probably thought I would just be like, Oh, it's not real or whatever. But for some reason it didn't sit well with me. And the next morning when I woke up, I found a small doll in my dresser that I had stored there like a couple years ago. Um, I got it while I was in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, and I looked down. Oh, you can maybe hear the thunder cracking right now around me. It's interesting. Um, as I was holding this little, it was a corn husk doll. And I was holding it in my hand. I said, something's wrong with this thing. It's something that had just been stashed away, like just stashed away in a dusty drawer that I hadn't thought about for like a year or two. And suddenly I'm holding it in my hand and I'm thinking something's wrong with this thing. So it's almost like a blinding truth happened, like where the blinders were finally taken off, the gossamer was peeled back from my eyes, and I was able to see that there was something wrong with the way I was living my life. And I couldn't look away from it. So I'm driving cross country with my friend on the way home to Tennessee. He lives in Tennessee uh, in the summer. I live in Tennessee in the summer when I was going to school. Um, so we're driving, we're, we're going through um, a whole landscape of New England, basically from Maine all the way to Tennessee. And we're talking about God the whole way home, even though neither one of us were believers at the time. Now this section of the story is called when I encountered Jesus in the mountains. Mm -hmm. So we're driving home and the plan is, is that I am going to drop off my friend in Knoxville and then I'm going to continue on my journey all the way home to where I'm from, which is about two hours away from Knoxville. So just outside of Nashville. So, <laughs> so we're driving, we get to Knoxville. I put my friend out. I say, all right, I'm going to go. And he goes with his mom and I'm by myself in the car. I, I pull over for gas. And this is, this is where my fear starts to set in. I've been talking about all this spiritual stuff for two days with my friend on the road. And also I hate the mountains. I hate driving through the mountains. It makes me fucking going to fall off the edge of the mountain and die a slow, painful death all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a great driver, folks. Like, I'm a horrible driver. So that just amplified my fear. So I stopped to get gas, and I'm, I, I'm sitting in the car, and I'm I'm like, all my witchcraft supplies, my wand, all the stuff that I had, it's all in the, in the trunk, out of sight. But I know it's there, and I kind of feel weird about it. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray. This is, I haven't prayed in a long, long time at this point. But I'm like, I'm going to pray. So I say a little quick prayer, you know, about being nervous about driving around the mountains and the Lord helping me get home safely. And I wait 
and there's nothing. And I wait, and there's nothing. And I wait. And then I go, see, see, God, I knew you weren't going to come through. I knew you weren't going to answer me. I knew you were just going to be quiet like you always are. You know, and I just kind of laugh it off. Get in the car. Keep driving. It's getting dark at this point, or uh, approaching darkness, I should say. And I'm driving. I'm nervous. My anxiety is on, like, 10. It's on, like, 20. On a scale of 1 to 10, it's on 20. <laughs> and I am, like, driving, and it is curvy all through this area, and it's mountainous, and I'm, like, freaking out. And then from within inside myself, now this this is going to sound hokey, but it's not. It's, it really happened. From inside myself, it's almost like I heard it inside my chest. Not outside of my head, but sort of outside. It's hard to describe. But I hear something say, let my hand guide you. And I'm like, what? And <laughs> says again, let my hand guide you. And I'm like, why would I say that to myself? <laughs> so I'm listening to Cardi B <laughs> and I'm driving through the mountains and suddenly I feel at peace. There's still a bit of anxiety there, but the overwhelming feeling is peace. And I sort of know in intrinsically at this moment or instinctively rather how to drive in this mountainous region without falling off the edge of the earth and also just I, I just get into this kind of rhythm and flow that I've never had before and I somehow end up making it home before dark mm-hmm. no idea how and I wasn't speeding for once <laughs> <laughs> um and I get home and I'm safe I'm about to go into my mom's house and I'm taking some of the things in. Normally, my witchcraft supplies would have been the first thing to come. But I left them in the trunk because I felt they shouldn't be in my mother's house. They should not be inside my mom's house. And I didn't know why. But I just, I didn't bring them in. So as I'm at home for this summer, I'm starting to think about faith and religion more. Um... Strangely enough, when I was a witch, I picked up a rosary at this occult shop. Of all the things I could have chosen, I pick up a rosary. Wow. And it's made out of hematite. Supposed to dispel negativity, all these things. Um, I'm praying with this rosary and the Jesus falls off. (laughs) I didn't even know how to pray the rosary, but I just felt called to do it. So I started praying the rosary, fumbling through it, didn't know how. But the Jesus falls off of this this rosary from this occult shop. So then I'm like, okay. Crap. <laughs> um, I buy another one, a real one, but not from the occult shop. From another place. I can't remember where. And I start driving by the Catholic church in my town. I don't know why. I read a... An interview with Mary Carr. She's a she's a Catholic woman. She's an um, an author. She writes memoirs, essays, and stuff like that. She's really good. She talks about how she gave up drinking um, through the faith. And I started reading about her, and I was like, "Huh, Mary Carr? Huh, Mary Carr can do it. I, I can do it, maybe." Then I started driving by the Catholic Church, sort of like I'm casing the place. <laughs> I'm like casing it out. I go and sit sit in the parking lot and look at the statue of Our Lady, but I won't go in. Mm -hmm. And then I call them and I'm like, hi, I'm looking for a place to pray. And then this wonderful woman, I'm going to call her Susan. 
But I feel like really all y'all should know her name. Um, but Susan works in the front office and she tells me, yeah, yeah, you can come in here. We, we, we'll give you the code to, to, we'll let you into the sanctuary and you can pray in there. Here, here's this woman doesn't know me from Adam. And she lets me get, basically gives me the keys to the church. But I cased that place for about three days before I called him. <laughs> like I cased it for about three days. And during those three days, um, right after I got home, actually, is when it started. Right after I got back to Tennessee, I used to wear this amulet around my neck. That's supposed to keep evil from you. Now I know now that there's no way that an amulet could do that. Only God can do it. But I would never go anywhere without this amulet. Like I would be like, if I left the house and forgot forgot it, I would drive all the way back home just to get it. That's how, quote, religious I was about this amulet. But when I started praying, I started praying the rosary, but when I started praying in general and I started to have true belief and I opened myself up to believing in God and recognizing that what I was doing, all the witchcraft that I had been practicing was evil, I felt held for the first time. And like I no longer needed to wear the amulet. So I took it off and threw it away because I didn't need it. So I go to this church. It's called St. Rose of Lima. It's amazing. Um, and it's funny because St. Rose of Lima's feast day, her original feast day is actually on my birthday, mm. which me and Susan agree that that's not a coincidence. Um, so I, I meet Susan. She gives me a rosary. She gives me a pamphlet on how to pray the rosary. Beautiful purple rosary that she gives me. Purple is my favorite color. She let me pick it out. And I start talking to Susan as she's showing me around. And she shows me this little chapel. And I turn and I look into the sanctuary because I can see the sanctuary from a window in the chapel. And it's beautiful. And Susan's asking me questions about my path my past, all these things. And I started telling her, but I'm a little bit nervous. So I sort of sugarcoat it. I don't tell her I was a witch. <laughs> we used to cast spells and was in league with Satan. <laughs> I don't tell her that. I Instead I say, yeah, I dabbled in just like Buddhism and just, you know, things like that. I was ashamed. I still didn't know why. So she, she takes me in to the, to the sanctuary and she says, okay, well, I'll leave you here so that you can have your time. So she leaves. It's silent in there. That is very peaceful. I start walking down the aisle. I don't even know what to do. I'm just walking down the aisle. Like I'm like, I don't know, probably like calling on like my old Baptist roots where you just walk and sit into the pew. So, or walk in and sit in the pew. So I just walk in, I sit in the pew. And I've seen people put the kneeler down. So I put the kneeler down. I, I get on my knees and I look up and there's this gorgeous crucifix, of Jesus, on the far wall right behind the altar. And I sob. I have never cried so hard in church in my whole life. Wow. I cried so hard and I couldn't, in that moment, I understood what it cost. What it really cost. It was a, it was a grace. Truly, because I was nowhere near even where I am now. And I still have a long way to go now. But I was like nowhere near where I am now. But I realized in that moment what it costs to have to give me eternal life. 
And I looked at that crucifix and I bawled my eyes out. And I was like, I can't believe they did that to you. And I had this moment of like pure empathy or sympathy for our Lord and his sacrifice. So from then on, I started going to that church. I started attending mass. I started like religiously obsessing about how to do the mass, mm-hmm. how to be a participant in the mass. I would be like in there trying to say the res- responsorial psalm when I didn't even super duper know what it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> I felt awkward. I had to bring like a little paper to look <laughs> to look at it. I was embarrassed because I didn't know the prayers, but I kept coming. And Susan was there. She was helping me through the whole thing. She was really sweet. Um, she was a convert too, so she understood. So that's the summer. This is a long one. I'm sorry, y'all. It's good. <laughs> About halfway there. Um, so the summer ends, and I'm, I'm on this new path. My parents, who knew I was into witchcraft and did not approve but didn't really tell me um, that they didn't approve, they just kind of just sort of let me make my own decisions about it. Both my parents are Christian. Um... My parents saw me starting to go to church and they were supportive, like really supportive, actually. Even though neither of them are Catholic, they both were like, yeah, if you want to go, go ahead. Um, Summer ends. And I get to Massachusetts, where I am now, for grad school. It's the first day of orientation uh, to be a teacher at this this school, which is a part of my, my grad program requirements. And I'm walking with two people who I'm friends with, uh, because through like circumstances, you know, basically like living circumstances. So I don't know them very well, but I'm, I'm sort of friends with them. I'm walking with them and out of nowhere, poof, (laughs) appears. Oh, but who would you get? Who would have guessed it? Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, boom, ding, like a little angel. Oh gosh. She's hi, I'm Aaron. <laughs> Don't remember saying that, by the way. You did. You said that. Or at the very least, you're like, hi. No, you definitely said you were you, did you, I? you definitely said that. You're like, hi. You showed up like an angel to me. Really? I was so lost. I was like, I don't know where I'm going. And then here, here they come. You're like, are you here for the teacher training? Mm-hmm. Maybe that. Maybe you said that first. And you're like, I, maybe you said I'm Aaron after that. We were like, I was like, ah. <laughs> and there she was. And it was the strangest thing. I had just undergone this like St. Paul conversion over the summer, right? I'm still reeling from it. I'm still not sure what to do. I'm still not sure I want to be Catholic. I'm not sure about anything except for that. I don't want to be a witch anymore. Um, and I start seeing Aaron around the offices and, you know, I want to be friends with her and I don't know why, but I do. It's not just cause she's cool. Like I want to be friends with her, but I start seeing her in the middle of like the day when we'll all be at the offices, like hanging out, eating lunch, shooting the crap, whatever. And I'll see Aaron leave. And one day we were talking and she's like, oh yeah, I'm going to mass. And I was like, oh, really? And I was like, oh yeah, I, I, I started doing that a little bit. And she was aware of my uh, my, my conversion because uh, she read an, an essay that I had to write for the teacher training about it. So she invited me. 
And I was apprehensive. Now, then I started going with her. Um, and we were going to daily mass. And then gradually, I started going more than once a week. And then gradually, I started going twice a week. And I just kept going. And watching Erin live out her faith was just like a living, being a living witness to the gospel was part of, really part of what got me into the faith. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, and from there, it kind of just snowballed. Like I did RCIA, which was, which was hard. It was tough. Um, but the rest is history. I did RCIA and I was welcomed into the church. Thanks be to God. A year ago and, the ch and some change now. Um, it was hard. But right after I started doing RCIA, that's when the battle started. This is the part of the, of the testimony that I'm going to call the battle for my soul. Also known as when I encountered demons. So there is one moment in particular that sticks out in my mind about the time that I encountered demons. Now, I want to be clear. Before I was a witch, I was a skeptic about anything religious, spiritual, or otherwise. I didn't believe in demons. I didn't believe in ghosts. I didn't believe in spirits. Anything like that. Um, and I had very little um, interaction with these things. Other than doing a Ouija board one time. Don't do it. Do not do it. Yeah, it's if, not a joke. Don't. It's not fun. It's not a game. It is real and it is evil and it's dangerous. Don't do it. It's not fun. Don't do it. Um, but this one, one instance in my room where I encountered dark forces, this is the one that sticks out to me. So I'm in my room. I'm deep. I'm getting deep into my conversion at this point. I'm taking RCA class. I'm going to mass every week. I'm, you know, I'm trying to do the thing where you live, where you strive toward holiness. I'm trying to do that thing. Um, and I'm praying the rosary at night. And outside of my window, I hear something whispering like this. Really fast. And I'm like, what? And I look out the window. I hop about the bed. I did not turn my swag on. I just hopped <laughs> I just hopped up out the bed and I just looked out the window and I was like, what? And there was nothing there. Damn. And I was like, am I going crazy? So then I turn back around and I sense a strong presence in my room and it is evil and it doesn't want me to do what I'm doing. It doesn't like that I'm praying. I don't know how I know this, but I start to sense a strong presence across my room and I hear that again. And I'm like, what? And then something tells me, and I know it's Our Lady now. I now know that it's Our Lady. Something tells me, don't stop praying the rosary. Don't stop. So I get back into bed. I'm terrified at this point. And I get back in the bed and I just keep praying. And it goes away. That's the first time that I encountered demonic spirits, like eye to eye. You know, I didn't see it, but I knew it was there. I could hear it. I could feel it. Um... And I think, unfortunately, because I have opened myself up to, to evil with my past practices, that it has somehow made me more sensitive to these things. Now, I know that the Lord will use it for good, and I do not need an exorcism, everybody. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like every time I tell people this, I was, there's that 
their eyes kind of this this thing goes across their eyes that are like, does she need an exorcism <laughs> or not? Well, I can assure you, I take I take uh, part in the sacraments quite often. I try to go to confession like once or twice. I once a week or at least by the at the at the most like twice a month at the least. You know, um, that makes sense. Once a week or at least twice a month. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, um, you know, I talked to an exorcist and he, he also told us in his talk that one confession is as powerful as a thousand exorcisms. So I'm all set. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not possessed. I take the Eucharist without like my head spinning around or something crazy like that. <laughs> what? Can confirm. I, yeah. Aaron is there. She can confirm it. <laughs> um, but that moment in, in my room where I encountered evil, that scared me, but it also gave me hope because I knew that the Lord had already won and that they didn't want me to turn away from the path that I had been on. They wanted me to continue being a witch and they didn't show themselves angrily until I was out of it. They don't show themselves to you when you're part of uh, the new age or when you're doing witchcraft stuff. New age is another term witchcraft but they don't show themselves to you until you start to pull away when you pull away from it or you change your mind or you try to turn from it that's when they get angry and they show themselves and they try to scare you into submission but you're not gonna you're not gonna let them win right so the second time <laughs> that i encountered demons and i'm laughing because i am uncomfortable talking about this um was holy week Leading up to my confirmation. So I was really excited about Holy Week. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to go to Mass every day. I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to go to the talks. I'm going to go everywhere. Well, <laughs> uh, the day before Palm Sunday, the night of the night before Palm Sunday, let's say, um, I had horrible dreams. I dreamed that I was with my community at the church I go to, the place I was confirmed. And I dreamed that we were all desecrating the host and the blood. All of us were all taking part in it. It was horrifying. I had a panic attack majorly and had to call Father, uh, I'll call him Father, Father Brian. Had to call Father Brian and get him on the phone and tell him that I'm freaking out and I'm having, a, that this dream happened. And he says, which comforted me. He says, well, I now know that you're ready for your confirmation mm -hmm. because if you weren't, they wouldn't be trying to attack you like this. So that was dream number one. Dream number two was I dreamed that I was talking to my therapist and she was a demon and everyone in my whole life was a demon. And I was one of the only people who wasn't. And it was horrifying and I was afraid. And, you know, I'm reminded of the scripture uh, in Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we're not struggling against, um, you know, human beings. We're struggling against those things that we can't see, those spiritual powers that are strong, um, that tempt us and that try to, to intimidate us um, because they know Jesus already won. So I get confirmed. Everything's fine. Um, my life after Jesus looks a lot better. <laughs> um, 
So like I'm happier. Um, there's grace and mercy being poured out on me daily. Lord knows I need it. Um, I struggle every day. Um, I'm a person who has same-sex attraction. I struggle with that as a bisexual. You know, it's not like some magic wand gets waved. No pun intended. <laughs> it's not a magic wand where God just goes, okay, all your life is going to be perfect now. It's like more like you're on the right path now, but there's still going to be bumps in the road, but I'm going to be there to pick you up when you fall. Mm-hmm. And that is something that witchcraft or not, and nothing else in the world could ever give you. Um, so I frequent the sacraments. They are a true gift. Um, and I thank Erin so much because she was my, she is my godparent mm-hmm. and my sponsor. Which and is a blessing and privilege. <laughs> thank you. Um, and she keeps me, keeps me on the right path, which I really, I really need that. Um, so I want to give you an invitation now. My, this is my, that was my conversion story, but I want to give you an invitation. Um, conversion is always a battle for your soul or for a soul. So if someone is fighting for their soul, walk with them the way Jesus walks with us every day. Um, remember that God has already won. The victory is his and through him ours. Frequent the sacraments. I can't tell you this enough. Like as Catholics, I feel like sometimes we take the sacraments for granted. Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh, confession will always be there. Communion will always be there. But these two things, confession and communion are essential to our living out our faith. And they fortify us against the enemy as he tries to blow our, blow us away. You know, so true. Um, one good confession is a thousand times more powerful than one exorcism. Remember that. And go to mass, y'all. <laughs> Bring a friend. Bring ten friends. Yeah. And encounter Jesus as often and as boldly as you can. Um, and don't be afraid to say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank you, Alex. That is such a good story, and I love hearing it. Um, so we're going to take a break, and on the other side, I will be sharing this story with you. Okay, um, so for my story, put your seatbelts on, kids. Um, so I was born um, cradle Catholic. Um, my family... We're Irish Catholic, so that's that's how our lives. We like grew up going to church. We went every Sunday, and it was priority for my family, um, which was cool, and I think taught me a lot. But we were very like New England y, by which I mean we don't we didn't really talk about our faith. It was like I feel like there's this Protestant um, attitude of New England where like. Um, it's almost like the British thing of like, you're stoic and you, you don't talk about things. Um, so that was kind of true for our faith. Like we didn't talk about it really. Um, so it was something that I just, I didn't really know a lot about it. Like I would go to CCD on Sundays. Um, I don't know. I have feelings about like catechizing children. Um, cause I, I feel like I didn't learn 
a lot. Like, some of my teachers were really good, but I just, like, yeah, I always felt, like, as a child and growing up that, like, the faith was, like, a rule that I had to follow. And I have always been, like, a very strict rule follower. It's, like, who I am, um, which is good and bad. Um, I do have, like, sometimes a rebellious spirit that comes out. Um but in my heart, I'm like, all right, I'm going to follow the rules. Um, and, I do. <laughs> and I was very much like into fulfilling my obligations. And I put a lot of like self-worth into that, I think, where I was like, I'm worthwhile if I like follow the rules, do what I'm told. And if I'm good at doing what I'm told. And so my faith was part of that. Um, I didn't know or understand that like, Jesus is a person that we could have a relationship with. And I also felt very much like I didn't fit in in my church. Like, my priest didn't know who I was. Um, it's kind of big church, but, I mean, not so big. And then in, like, youth groups and stuff like that, I would try to go sometimes, but, like, I didn't fit in there. Like, I felt like there was in an elite that I was not part of, and I was excluded, I was not wanted. Um, as I got older, my family, especially, like, members, certain members of my family, um, started to get into, like, particular kinds of spiritualities, um, and ways of living out their faith, and I just always felt like I, I didn't really align with those ways of living the faith, I didn't understand it, it felt exclusionary to me, um, and it just wasn't the way that that I saw God. Um, and I, like, I had this pull toward God and toward, like, knowing him better, knowing him more. Like, when I was a kid, I would sometimes, like, sneak up to my room to pray the rosary. And, like, I didn't know how to pray the rosary. I didn't know that you, like, meditated on mysteries. But, but I would do it. And I would have, like... A lot of trouble doing it actually it would take me a long long time because I felt like if I said a prayer and I didn't say it well enough I had to go back and start um so it was this weird way of living where I was living with a lot of scruples but not understanding like merciful love or the the more like I would say like real parts of the faith um I felt like I, overall, I didn't count as a Catholic. I wasn't good enough. Um, around the time of my confirmation is when things started to change. Um, so it was the 10th grade. And, you know, it's really funny how God uses everything, like the craziest stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so what happened that started to change things was that I met St. Therese. I didn't realize, you know, people say like this girl, like she follows you around and she stalks you and you know, it's true. <laughs> like, it's so true. <laughs> I didn't know it. So I'd had a statue of her in my room since I was a baby. I don't know who it was. Come find out later, St. Therese. Um, but here is how I met her. Again, God uses the funniest things. So, there was a boy. There's always a boy. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I was just like head over heels for this boy. He was my first real friend who I felt like 
understood me and saw me. Um, yeah, he meant so much to me. And this was back in the days of MySpace. Um, <laughs> so on his MySpace, he had this song by Jeff Buckley. And he was singing in French. And I was like, what is this song? Looked it up and I found out it's actually a cover of a song by Edith Piaf. So I start reading about Edith Piaf and listening to her it's bananas. Um, and I find out that when Edith Piaf was a little girl, she got this illness that blinded her and she went on a pilgrimage to, I always pronounce it wrong, and I apologize to any French speakers out there, to Lisieux, um, where St. Therese is from. Um, and she prayed through her intercession and she was cured of her blindness. Mm. I was like, whoa, that's a crazy story. Um, so then I start reading about this St. Therese. I, I didn't really know a lot about the saints before then. Like, I, I don't know. I never prayed for their intercession or anything. But I was intrigued by this St. Therese. And so I picked up her book, Story of a Soul. And for the first time, I felt like there was another way of living your Catholic spirituality and it fit with mine. And I was like, wait, this is allowed. She, she's a saint. She's a doctor of the church. And she's saying this. She's saying you can be little. And like God's going to use your littleness. And he wants your littleness. Mm -hmm. And that if you do small things. And you do it with a lot of love. And like with the intention of love. And loving God. And just making him known. That's a path to holiness. And it's a good, good path to holiness. And I was like wow, you mean I don't have to, you know, like be a canon lawyer <laughs> or I don't have to be like a bishop or, you know, know all these things and like live this certain spirituality. I can like love God in this way. And it was mind blowing to me. It was just crazy. And, you know, for everything to come full circle around this time, um, my grandma, she gave me a medal of St. Therese and she didn't know any of this. Um, she just did it. And we, my grandma and I were really close. Um, she was like probably the family member I was closest to other than my mom. Um, and we started bonding over Edith Piaf too. Cause like she grew up with her or she knew her a lot as she, when she was a young woman. Um, and around that time they were making a movie about her, Le'Veon Rose, which with, um, I forget the actress's name. But we plan on going to see that together. Um, and I was starting to see all the ways that, like, St. Therese is coming in and Edith Piaf is coming in and, like, all these parts of my world were coming together. And it was starting to make sense. So that was really cool. Um, so I got confirmed. I almost didn't get confirmed because I got the chicken pox. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, that very week. Um I missed a couple of performances of West Side Story in which I was in the ensemble, but thanks be to God, I made my confirmation. Um, and I, you know, went along, still didn't really feel like I fit in in like the physical environment of my church, but that's how it was. And then I got ready to go to college and I had the choice between like a Catholic college and, and another one that was like a, a good opportunity for me. Um, but it wasn't Catholic. And so I was like, oh, I went and talked to the priest there who was the chaplain. 
And I walk in and the first thing I see is a picture of St. Therese as a little girl. And I was like, all right, I'm going here. (laughs) Um, So I did. Uh, And so college was like kind of a struggle bus for me in some ways. I'm really glad that I went where I went and I had the experiences that I did. But it was really hard. And I made a lot of, like, I got into, like, the college thing, you know, like, where you're expected to to live a certain lifestyle that is, like, not super chaste, not super, like, prudent or sober. And I, I wasn't, like, excessive off the walls. But I lived in a way that, like, I did not like. Um, I felt worthless and that, like, my worth was only in like if other people liked me like I had felt so rejected so much of the time um that like I felt like I had to do these things to be liked Mm. and I was experiencing a lot of the same things in the Catholic community where they're like you are not like us we we're the elite and like you're excluded I don't think it was intentional at all but I just felt so apart from it um so that was a big struggle for me. And during college, I also, like, was in an abusive relationship for a long time um, with a guy who was, like, a non-practicing Catholic. Um, and there was a lot of pressure for a lot of things. And it really messed with me. Um, and that's when I started to... Um, to struggle with certain things, like, with my body, um, in regards to my depression, which, like, I had had since I was a little girl, and my anxiety, um, and it was, like, you know, this desire for self-harm, and stuff like that, and it's stuff that I really struggled with, Hmm. and continued to struggle with in, like, the aftermath of this abusive relationship, because there were elements of it that that continued afterward, that really made me scared. I was scared all the time. So fast forward, and I moved to Boston uh, for grad school after college. And this is where it gets bananas because, like, man, I'm just so blessed about how God has, like, worked in my life because what happened was all my housing plans fell through. Like, my roommates were like, no, we can't live with you anymore for whatever reason. Um, and I ended up in this former convent that was a home for like single women, I guess. And it was like almost dormitory style. It was the cheapest place that I could find by myself in Boston. Um, of course there was a statue of St. Therese in the foyer when you walk in cause you know, she's just my best friend. Um, and the closest church to this place like it was a great location in Boston and the closest church was this Eucharistic shrine called St. Clement's. I didn't know what a Eucharistic shrine was, um, but I found out (laughs) and they had perpetual adoration, which is like, I'd never done adoration before. It was something I was not familiar with. And so I started to go and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here in adoration. What do I just like sit here? Um, I really didn't know. And at this time I was still like living in a lot of the same lifestyle I was in college and like, it was not making me happy, but I started to go to Bible study. Um, and 
and to see kind of like a different way of living. And the community that ran this shrine, it's a religious community. It wasn't like a, a diocesan parish. They like, cared about me, which was crazy. I didn't know a priest could like know you. <laughs> and like the seminarians, they wanted to know me too. And I was like, me? What? It was crazy. Um, and so it started to like change the way I was thinking. It was very slow, very slow, the way I started. Um, and then that Lent, I decided for Lent, I was going to try to go to daily mass during the week. I don't know why. So I started to go. It was early in the morning and I'm not a morning person. So that was hard for me. And like at some point during that, and during my like more frequent trips to adoration, I just like I was still struggling a lot with depression and self-harm, but I just like got this conviction from God that like I was sure it was God and it wasn't me because like I couldn't have made this up. But he just kind of like, showed me the way that I was like unrepeatable. Mm. And not just me, but everybody. Like, we are all unrepeatable, and we have, like, the way that he's created us and put us into this world. Nobody else can do that. And that just created, like, it changed the way I thought. It changed the way that I thought about, like, myself and my body. Um, and it really set me on a path to be able to slowly but surely, like, reject those sins in my life that were like that I was putting before God and that I was putting my worth in instead of like putting my worth in being a daughter. Um, so around that time I, I was like finishing up grad school and then I started like considering religious life all of a sudden. Cause I'd always been like, Oh, I'm so single. Like I should be a nun. And then like, I would say that and it stopped being a joke at some point. And it still kind of was, but I found myself, like, telling a person who, like, sent me to a discernment group, and I was like, what's going on? I don't understand. <laughs> and I would keep going to this discernment group, and I had a boyfriend at the time, I didn't tell him, <laughs> which was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, would, I went to New Orleans, and I visited a community out there, and I visited one in Boston, and I would go on, like, come and see retreats. And all of this brought me to a place where, like, I finally was meeting people who had similar experiences. I was listening to the Holy Spirit. I became part of a small group where, like, the Holy Spirit was working. Like, the Holy Spirit was just, like, out here. <laughs> and it was crazy, the stuff that he did with these people. Um, and, like, you know, one day I just looked back and I was like, I'm so different than I was. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I still struggle a lot. Like I struggle with, with faith in general. I struggle with some of the church teachings. And a lot of the times I struggle with my own worth a lot, big time. And being comfortable with like where my place is in the church. Um, a scripture that gives me a lot of comfort and was one of the first scriptures that really like blew my mind um, when I read it was um, Corinthians chapter 12. Um, 
which talks about the body, like the body of Christ and how we're all part of the body. And we each have our job and like the body needs to function with all those parts. Like they're all important. Um, so I think a lot of the ways that God has been working in my life is to just show me that I matter. I am supposed to be here. I'm not a mistake. Um, that even though I sin and I feel a lot of times like I'm just bad, that he sees me and he's just pouring out his merciful love and saying, I see you and I love you. And he's not looking at my sins. He's He just wants to pour out his mercy. And thanks be to God, I've been able to accept that in certain ways and like try to move forward in my vocation. Like vocational discernment has been such a thorn in my side and I still have no idea. But one way that he has shown me so far that he wants me to be living is as a third order Carmelite. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> so like, I love the Carmelites and that started with St. Therese. Um, but just the whole Carmelite spirituality of contemplation mm -hmm being little, um, loving God and making him loved um, through prayer, particularly, and through silence. Like, I, I think of Carmelites a lot of the time as, like, pathologically empathetic introverts. Mm. And that's just who I am, and it just feels so good to be seen. Um, so actually, just yesterday, I was clothed in the scapular. Um, Yay! <laughs> So I'm working on continuing to test and seeing what he does. Cause he does crazy stuff. Maybe we'll talk about it later on the podcast, but like, whoo, <laughs> it's a wild ride. It is. Aaron, thank you so much for sharing that amazing story with us. Um, as always, it's just an honor to like hear about your journey and your story. And I don't know, just know you. Likewise. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks you for being my friend. I also just said thanks you. Thanks you for being my friend. So I feel like my brain is noodles. It's um whenever my brain feels like that, my brain is scrambled eggs. Mm. What if you scrambled noodles? It, it would just be stir fried noodles. Fair. Which tastes good. So I don't know. But eggs taste good too. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um so that brings us to what segment? The, <laughs> I wish everyone could see you right now. Uh, she's like going back and forth with her hands, like the robot, but like kind of like windshield wipers. Anyway, we are going to. I have come here to destroy your. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Krabs is a robot. Oh my gosh, we have to end this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> but before we do, we're going to offer to you uh, one piece of good content that we have encountered. Um, this week. So Alex, what is a good piece of content? You know, I was really saddened to hear about Gloria Purvis being, um, uh, her show being canceled, um, mm -hmm. by this, the, by the, uh, by the affiliate of EWTN, mm -hmm. um, which really bothered me. Um, but you know what the greatest content I saw was, is all the people that were rallying around Gloria Purvis in the community, yeah. all the Catholics that were saying, I stand with Gloria and, it was just really great. It was great to see that. Um, that's the that's the best content I've seen, probably. Yeah. Yeah, there's... It's been a while. There's a person on Twitter who was, like, standing behind Gloria Purvis as well. Um, 
And I started following him because I thought he was so cool. His name was like Sam Rocha. I yeah, think. I, me too. I, he's, he's amazing. And he posts recently about how his favorite group of people is like, uh, like political leftists who are like Catholic traditionals. Um, <laughs> Hashtag like, it us. Yeah, I was like we all posted. We're like it's my people. I didn't know there were more. But. I mean, technically, I'm not a leftist, but I I definitely identify with the camp of leftists. Yeah, yeah. Like I I, I'm a political moderate, I guess. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> yeah, I just want to back you up on that. So the piece of content that I would like to offer, um, it is a show. And I haven't seen the last season of this show because I'm waiting for it to come on Netflix um, and I'm anxiously anticipating it. I think it's supposed to be this summer. Um, and the show is called The Good Place. Um, love it. It's it's so good. You've seen it too. I love yeah. it. Um, it's so good. It talks about basically like heaven, hell, and demons, but it's not like theologically correct or anything. And it's not trying to be. Um it's not uh, like aligned with any particular religion, but it really gets into like moral philosophy and it has a huge theme across it of redemption. Um, it's hilarious it's too. It's so funny. <laughs> um, the acting is great. I love it so much. And it's just a really, really great show. So I recommend that. It's a feel good show for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big time. Well, folks, it's about that time. What time is it? It's time for the other song. Oh, yeah. Please don't go. I need you so I'm Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Big Content. And we hope that if this podcast was something that you found valuable, exciting, or even a little bit funny, that you'll share it with a friend. And join us next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.